This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. So today is a special day. Uh, We are taking the whole morning looking at the Last Supper. Uh, At the end of the service, we're going to take the elements of the Lord's Supper together And to start, we would love for you to be prepared for that. So if you came in and you did not receive the elements, go ahead and just raise your hand. We have ushers on each side. They'll just bring one to you. Keep your hand raised and and hold on to that till the end of the service. Because this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to actually step into the scene of the Last Supper. And then we're going to come back and explain the, the how, the why, the who. We'll even talk about the when of the Lord's Supper as we then have a special time to examine our hearts and be prepared together individually, but also as a church family, uh, to take of the elements. And uh, here's what I love about looking up here and seeing the table. We want you to know that everyone is invited to the table. Everyone is invited to place faith in Jesus, faith alone in Christ alone, confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord, the name above every name, and believing in your heart that he has been raised from the dead. Uh, we want to invite you uh, to life in Jesus, and then ultimately, uh, as a believer in Christ today, what we're talking about is moving into the Lord's table in a time of reflection as we remember and proclaim the Lord's death and as we look forward to the second coming of Christ. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 22, where we're going to be spending some time. We're also going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so we're just going to kind of set it up, walk into the scene, continue to worship together, prepare our hearts, and then take the elements together. And we read in Luke 22, verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread. This was the feast that celebrated the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Passover, we know this is what recalls the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And at the end of all of the plagues, the last one was the firstborn would die. The death angel would take out the firstborn, but the Israelites were called to sacrifice a lamb, place the blood over the doorpost, and the death angel would pass over that home and over that family. And that is what Passover commemorates. And today, as we talk about the blood of lambs saving Hebrews from the destruction in Egypt, we're really talking about the blood of Jesus saving each one of us from sin, death, the grave, and ultimately hell. And I have a friend in here right now. Her name is Zoe. She sent me a letter a couple months ago, and her family joined the church on Wednesday night. And she came up to me, and she goes, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. And I said, sure. And so Zoe pulls me aside, and she goes, I know Easter is your day. I know it's a big day. And I go, it is. Thank you. I appreciate you recognize that. It is a big day. She goes, and I know you probably already have everything prepared that you're going to say. She was the one that wrote me a letter uh, a couple months ago that said, thank you for the way you encourage our church and paint a beautiful picture of heaven for the congregation. She said that, and I thought this was one of the best notes I've ever received. She said, uh, but don't, re- don't forget to remind people how miserable hell will be. And I said, yes, ma'am, I will do that. And she, she told me Wednesday night, she goes, and Easter, great time to remind people about how miserable hell will be. <laughs> so if you're prepared for a hell, fire, and brimstone message on Easter Sunday, I said, Zoe, it can't be the whole message, but I will touch on it. And today, as we talk about the Last Supper, 
as we think about what it meant to be passed over for the Israelites. The blood of lamb saved them from destruction in Egypt, but the blood of Jesus saves us from our sin, from death, and from hell. So Jesus, verse 8, sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover, the Passover meal. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? You see, in New Testament times, Passover became a pilgrimage. And Jewish pilgrims would travel to Jerusalem to participate in Passover. And so it wasn't uncommon. It was, it was normal for Jewish pilgrims to be invited to these rooms, to these upper rooms, to these guest rooms uh, to take of this meal. They were made available to Jewish pilgrims. They'd have couches and be a place for them to recline. Where is the guest room where I may eat with the, with the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. Verse 13, so they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. And so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, you will never wash my feet. Unless I wash you, you will not belong to me. Well, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you disciples are clean. But not all of you. Here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. Lord, who is it? Rabbi, am I the one? You have said it. Hurry and do what you're going to do. my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people 
it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom.
You know, the thing I wasn't prepared for this morning when we had seen this practice and ready to go was just that end scene of them walking out knowing uh, what Jesus is stepping into in the next few hours, in the next couple of days. And if you're new to our church, we've been going through the Passion Week and taking a day uh, in each uh, Sunday leading up to Easter. Instead of just taking the week before Easter, we wanted to unpack it for a good month and a half before Easter. And uh, next week, as we look at the death of Jesus on Palm Sunday, um, to see them walking out and knowing what lies ahead, and then also just uh, to see the table up here and to know that that has always been the heartbeat of our church, has always been uh, to invite people to the table. Uh, You're invited today. If you've been here uh, for a while and you've heard the gospel preached, but uh, you've never placed faith in Jesus, you've never repented of your sin and turned from the ways that you think lead to life but ultimately lead to destruction, and turn toward Christ and placing your faith in him, that today would be the day and that you would join us in a few moments uh, when we take the elements together. I was struck this week by what one pastor said, Pastor Bob Shank. He said, there are times when it's appropriate to take communion contemplatively with a deep sense of quiet reverence and awe. Other times it's appropriate for the family to be together around the table with a sense of release and joy recognizing what communion looks forward to and what it has done to paint our present differently. The one thing the Bible does say is we are never to do it frivolously. This is a simple act, yes, but it is a serious act. So why do we take the Lord's Supper? A few things this morning before we enter into a time together of communion. The Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus and his sacrifice for our salvation. And if you grew up in a church that the communion table at the front had these words on it, we get from Luke twenty-two, nineteen. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And yes, this reminds us of the death of Jesus. But today we're also going to see that's not all the Lord's Supper does. It's not all that it proclaims. It also leads us to a place where we anticipate the second coming of Christ. And we have been saying this so often as a church, especially during the pandemic. We are longing for the second coming of Jesus. And we take the Lord's Supper until the Lord returns and until we take it with him face to face. Jesus never asked his disciples to remember his birth. And so uh, I love Christmas. Raise your hand if you love Christmas. We all love Christmas, right? But nowhere does Jesus tell us to remember his birth. He tells us to remember his death. And that doesn't mean we can't celebrate his birth. But this we do celebrate as an ordinance of the church, ordained by God, just as baptism. We want to be very clear this morning, starting off, that we do not believe that the Lord's Supper saves you. This is something saved people do. But it's not what we do to be saved. Just like baptism. Baptism is not something that saves you. Baptism is something that a believer does when he steps into the water. When she steps into the water, she is proclaiming her faith, his faith in Jesus. It is an outward expression of an inward decision. So we do not believe that the elements we're about to enter into today are salvific. They don't lead to salvation, but it's something believers do to be reminded. But it's not just being reminded of the death of Jesus. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're also proclaiming the death of Jesus and our faith in him. 
1 Corinthians 11, we read, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that brings up a lot of questions when we take the Lord's Supper. The first one clearly is who can take it. Okay, and here's what we say at Woodland Hills. The who is believers. We believe that believers can take the Lord's Supper, but we do not require church membership. I want to stress the word not. We do not require it. Now, some of you grew up in a church that required it, and there's, I am not putting down a church or a denomination that required church membership. I know many of my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, it was required. And I love how Tim Keller talks about it. He says, it's because we didn't want anyone coming to the table like self-accredited or self-appointed. And it's why we take this in community. It's because we're to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And when you take it in community, people are allowed to look at your life and reflect on your life. And it's not just you saying, I'm worthy to take that. So I know denominations, they don't require membership to stiff-arm people and say, we don't want you a part of this family. We don't want you coming to the table. There was really another motive behind that. But to just be clear, at Woodland Hills Family Church, if you have placed faith in Jesus and you are visiting from out of town, we invite you to the table with us today. We want you to take of the elements. If you have placed faith alone in Christ alone, if you have not, today, before we take of the elements, this is a moment for you to become a believer in Christ Jesus. We want to do that right now. You know, and and the Baptists are like, that is out of order. You do that at the end of the service. You bring them to the altar. You never interrupt a message. But today, the thing I think I enjoyed most about taking the Lord's Supper in the first service was, yeah, and I, this, I think it may be one thing about church these days that can wear me out is we're on such a tight schedule, right? God, we need you to do your work in 60 minutes because we got to clear out the parking lot, bring new people into the parking lot. Today, today the joy in taking the Lord's Supper for me has been in how slow it's been. And how we haven't been rushed in any of it. Uh, We've been talking as a a team, as church leadership, that uh, we need to plan more of the time at the table that's slow. So instead of, hey, you get 30 seconds to examine your heart, today we want you to take time to examine your heart. Today, if you are not a believer in Christ Jesus, I'm going to ask everyone right now to bow your heads. And I am going to pray right where you are, here, out in the courtyard, over at the gathering place, over uh, at the chapel, right where you are, I just want you to pray. You can put this in your own words, but this is you turning from your sins and turning to Jesus, turning from the way that you think is right, but in the end leads to destruction and turning to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm gonna pray, you can pray right where you are, to receive Jesus, because we want you to come to the table with us today. And simply pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess my sins. I turn from the ways that seem right in my own eyes. No longer counting on adding good deeds or taking away bad deeds. I turn to Jesus. I confess Jesus is Lord. He is the name above all names. I believe he has been raised from the dead. He died for my sins and he rose again, which means my faith now has purpose. My life has purpose. My life has meaning. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior. 
I receive Jesus. And it is in the name and the authority of that name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. When and how often should we take the Lord's Supper? This is, this is where angels dare to trod in the denominations uh, right here. Some of you had a tradition in your church of every week. Some of you, it was once a month. Some, it was quarterly. Let's be very clear with what that is. That is a tradition, and it is okay. And all different traditions are represented in here today. And we at Woodland Hills Family Church take the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the month. Sometimes that changes based on uh, holidays or weekends. We want to we make it a special time, but it is pretty much, you can count on it all the time, being the first Sunday of every month. Where should you take the Lord's Supper? In Acts 2, we read that the first century church, they gathered together to take it. They also took it in one another's home. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, breaking bread in their homes. During the pandemic, many of us, as we were doing church at home, were taking the Lord's Supper with our families. So that's the who, that's the, the where, that's the when. But now we get into the part where we really, believer in Christ Jesus, we take a moment to examine our hearts because that's what the Lord's Supper requires that we do. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 28, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 21, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And here's what that means. Confess sins, reconcile relationships, recenter your life on Jesus. If you read uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul comes to the church at Corinth and says, listen, you guys are divided we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper brings unity. How does it bring unity? It brings unity because we get recentered and refocused on Jesus, as we've already sung today. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. Some of you are coming to this table. You're mocking the table, he says to them. Some of you are coming and you're gorging yourself on food and while others go hungry. He says, eat in your homes before you. When we come here, this table is about Jesus. He's very clear. That's why we're examining our hearts. What needs to be dealt? What is the Holy Spirit calling you by name with right now? As we continue to worship, we're going to take a few moments for this. I, I love it. Years ago, I, I, we were doing the Lord's Supper and I saw a guy get up and like with a half sprint jog out. And afterwards, I, I went to him because I go, is everything okay? He said, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to take the Lord's Supper. He goes, I had to go out and make a phone call. Yeah, and when the church was starting almost 20 years ago, uh, a guy got up in, in the Lord's Supper, and he actually went across town to another church to make things right with someone. Boy, you, you've got to honor that, someone taking the Lord's Supper, and before they come to the table, taking it that seriously to confess sins and to reconcile relationships. And for some, it might mean just leaning over right now to that person you were not reconciled with on the way here to church today. And it might be a gentle touch. It might be a soft-spoken word, just simply, I'm sorry. It's going to be different for everyone, but let's take this time to examine our hearts.
I drove Friday to Yankton, South Dakota, and then back last night, and it's eight hours through Missouri, Iowa, South Dakota, and it is open fields. And a lot of time, 16 hours to think and reflect on this message, and, and I always try to practice the message the best I can, and when it came to examining hearts, and as I'm praying, I'm like, what is it, what is it, Lord? Call me by name on things I need to confess. And I'm telling you, the verse that keeps coming back to me since the Good Example series is 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And examining my heart has led me in the last couple of days and weeks to this um, place where I know I can be very quarrelsome. I can stir it up. And that's, that's uh, I just see it all over social media. We, we see the Lord's servant's not supposed to be quarrelsome, but many of us are quarreling in the name of Jesus. And thinking to get our point of view, get someone one over to our side, we need, and, and the quarrelsomeness just, it has to stop. And it starts with me. I think that's what examining does. And I don't think we, we take enough time as a church, as individuals, to have parts of our worship service be that of repentance, where we truly repent. And we're able to say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. We want to come to the table. We want to come to the table prepared. And that's why it requires us to examine the heart. 
as we continue, I'm going to ask that you prepare your elements. And I would ask that you prepare both the, the cup and the bread. First Corinthians 11, we read, For I received the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. And sometimes we race through that part uh, to get to the elements in a service that is on a time crunch. But today we don't have to. And, and to stick on that part for a second, the night he was betrayed, Adam Donier and I were talking this week and going back and forth and, and made an observation that we heard as we head from the Last Supper to the death of Jesus on Friday, next Sunday. We'll be talking about that. We said, isn't it something that on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter was willing to kill for Jesus, but he was not willing to die for Jesus. I said, is that not where we're at today in the Christian church? So many people passionate and standing for our faith that we're willing to kill anyone who comes against it. But are you willing to lay down your life for Jesus? Willing to kill, but not willing to die. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, and that's what we want to do before we take the bread and the cup today, would you pray with me? Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we gather today saying thank you for sending your one and only son to die on the cross for our sins. And we know that there's none righteous, no, not one. It's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of works so that no one can boast about it. We know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. We have eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord, and we are grateful for that. And today we not only remember the death of Jesus, we proclaim the death of Jesus with hearts that we know and we, we pray are prepared to take of it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And I'm going to encourage you, after we take of the cup, to hold on to it. Don't set it down on the floor or in the cup holder yet, but please hold it until the very end as we do something new at Woodland Hills today. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We were reminded today of his death. We proclaim it, but look at what verse 26 says. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, yes, until he comes. And so we live in anticipation, and the Lord's Supper looks forward to the second coming of Christ. Today in the Word shared this story about 30 years ago of a small country church in Wisconsin that had a special tradition that they used at the close of their communion services for a number of years. It's adapted from the ancient Jewish closing of the Passover meal. Since it is the hope of every devout Jew to celebrate Passover at least once in David's city, the Jewish custom is to end the meal with a toast. And here's where all the Baptists are like, ain't doing it. Yeah, you're doing it. 
Get that cup up. Passover participants would raise the cup and say, Next year in Jerusalem, the cup and the Lord's Supper serves as two reminders. We are to look back at the shed blood of Jesus and forward to the second coming. In other words, for all Christians, there will be a last sharing of the bread and the cup on this side of eternity. When they meet once again, they will be in the presence of Jesus. And at the close of communion, this church, the members of this church, raise their cups in anticipation and say, next time with Christ. And that is our proclamation today. Next time with Christ. We, we celebrate Easter in two weeks. And my friend Alex Amaya shared last week uh, that within your circle of influence, friends, family, coworkers, 90% of people would take your invitation to church seriously and would attend if invited by you. When I heard that, I invited a friend. As soon as I heard it, I texted a buddy and said, hey, I know it's been a while. I'd love to see you back. And he said, I'll be there. I'm like, wow, hey, that was fast. <laughs> Somebody need, someone needs the invitation from you. I just want to encourage you, 10 o'clock is our, our busiest service time. And, and if you want to move to 8.30 or... Uh, 11.30 on Easter, that'd be fantastic. Uh, you can park at Steak and Shake or Silver Dollar City, wherever you think is going to be. No. In all seriousness, we're going to encourage you to park in express parking. Uh, get here early. Uh, it's going to be especially, we've been, we just, we just now hit that 2,000 mark on, on weekends here in all three services, 2,000 people on campus. We think on Easter there'll be 31 to 3,200 people. So want to encourage you, invite people, yes, and then we're ready to welcome people at that time. And today I hope this goes with you. Uh, we, we often invite people to the altar to pray but today, if you made the decision to place faith in Jesus, faith alone in Christ alone, we're going to invite you to the table. Our prayer team is going to be gathered around the table. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can step out right now and make your way forward. And uh, we would love to share with you the good news of the gospel. Thank you for being a part of this special service. Next time with Christ. Love you all.